blackscholarspublishing.com. That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Nylon, cover five minutes. Whoa, we are too hot in the business. About to make a movie independent. So, Ebony, welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, Where are you currently teaching? How long have you been teaching? What subject are you teaching? Um, What got you into education? All right. Well, my name is Ebony Eggleston. Um, currently, I reside in Los Angeles, California. Um, I am currently teaching high school. I've been teaching for going on, actually, this is going on my 10th year teaching. Um, my background is in biochemistry. So I received my bachelor's degree in biochemistry from the Florida A&M University. Um, I did cancer research for a couple of years, and while I was working in my master's program, um, I was working with the former CFO of the state of Florida, and she kind of like suggested that I should go into teaching or give it a try, um, primarily because while I was interning with her, um, I did a lot um, with just restarting the whole system that they had going on um, there and just organizing everything and then um, teaching classes as well. And so she was kind of the one who suggested that I consider teaching. um, And she wrote my first recommendation to teach. And so from that point, I've enjoyed it ever since. Um, I've taught high school for about seven years and, or I'm sorry, I taught high school for six years and I taught college for four years. So this is really going into my sixth year. Um, And I teach chemistry and physics um, as well as biology. So that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. (laughs) So you said you have a BA in, what was your bachelor's in again? I have a BS in um, biochemistry with a minor in biology and mathematics. All right. So you got a chance for a couple of years to actually put that into practice in the real world. And then um, a teacher or professor encouraged you to go ahead and start teaching yourself. Um, Did you go through a traditional teacher education preparation program or did you kind of fast track it? Um, Everything was pretty much like fast-tracked. My background, yes, like as far as the field goes, my dad's a physicist. So from the time I was 11 years old, I grew up working in the lab. Um, In fact, um, my physics background is pretty heavy. Um, 
even in college, most of my internships were um, physics internships. Um, but moving forward, like when I decided to go into teaching, um, the only thing that I had to do was, was one, I applied for my temporary certification. And then from that point, because I was a science major, they gave me a temporary, um, which was only valid for three years. And so I taught for the first three years um, on the temporary. Then I took a year off and then went back for my temporary. Um, but by that time, because I had already started teaching college courses, the only thing that the state required from me was that I took the um, chemistry subject test. And so I never had to go through any additional training. Um, and because I taught at the college level, um, it pretty much excluded me from having to take like the, um, the professional test as well as like what they have in the state of Florida, the general knowledge test. And so when I moved out here to California, because of my teaching background and because of my um, solid background and science, um, it's just not been required. That's awesome. So you said you taught college for how long? Four years. And how was that experience? Um, I definitely enjoyed it. But, you know, my passion is working with the youth. Um, it was, like I said, it was a great experience, but it's a lot different when you're working with um, paying adults. And oftentimes my students were older than me um, because I taught in the nursing program. And so I taught chemistry for nursing. I taught microbiology, um, college algebra, as well as... Um, occasionally anatomy and physiology. So having students that were older than me, um, it, it was kind of a bit more challenging, primarily because everything that I said was challenged because uh, I was like the youngest, you know? Right. Um, and then teaching at the high school level, for me, it's more rewarding um, because I think that high school just that that whole age range um for kids it's it's either you can either make them or break them you know um and so i kind of like it it gives me more purpose um and just working with students my my favorite is working with like the lower um level students um primarily because i just want to help give them that drive and um to push forward. And I, I love to see them make those improvements. Absolutely. So it seems like you have a very well-versed uh, background. Have you ever had the opportunity to work with freshmen? Because I know ninth graders are a bit different from the rest of the high schoolers. So I'm just curious if you've worked with ninth graders before as well. Yes. Um, in fact, my first two years teaching, um, I work with freshmen. Um, it is definitely, um, definitely a challenge. And actually, this past year, um, with me teaching biology out here, um, I worked with freshmen as well. Um, 
freshmen are very, very interesting. Um, but, you know, what I always go by is, you know, I, I always have to put myself back at that point in my life when I, too, was a freshman. And I always have to revert back to the things that I used to be interested in and, you know, um, and from that point, I kind of use that to try to engage them okay. because freshmen are pretty much all over the place. And so yes. my approach with them is typically taking things that that are that they consider to um, be interested in now. So I may open my class up with like a dance you know, I might like my daughter, she dances all the time. And so she teaches me like the newer songs. And so I may open my class up with the new song along with the dance to it or um, some sort of hot topic that's going on in the industry um, and kind of take that approach to get them one going and excited. And once that adrenaline gets going, then it's like, OK, now I have to go in for the attack. Let's get this lesson done. And then I always ended off um, pretty smooth as well. So the main thing is just just being creative with keeping um, keeping them engaged and just expressing to them the importance of um, of their grades. You know, freshman year, colleges start looking at you from ninth grade on up to your junior year, senior year is supposed to be like those Mickey Mouse classes, you know? Right. So I, I try to rail them right in um, then. Plus, um, my goal is to create um, more scientists out in the field. So I, I kind of try to work that way as well and get them interested and find internships and trips that would kind of help them get that real feel for science in general. Definitely. Especially biology. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I think it's um, more authentic now because I know kids, you know, especially after seeing something like Black Panther, where the African-American representation in STEM was heavy. I think kids now find that STEM is really an option for them um, and that there is a lot of profit to be made if you go into that field um, and there's so many different opportunities out there so I think that's awesome that you're doing that thank you yeah definitely so why the move from Florida where I assume you were in Miami correct yes okay why well I've from... lived all over Florida <laughs> okay so but... so why the move from Florida to LA California um, well, the main move, um, one, you can teach everywhere, um, and then two, more so for the entertainment industry as well. It was more dominant out on this end. Okay. And so for listeners who don't know, you also have a side hustle, as I love to call them, uh, <laughs> of acting. You want to share yes, a little bit on that? Yes. Um. Well, it's always been something that I've been interested in doing, like my whole life. Actually, growing up um, in my adolescence, I I took classes. Um, excuse the dogs in the background. Um, I took classes and I participated in like plays at the schools. 
schools and everything. And that was always like more of my passion. But my dad, he told me, listen, no matter what, you can always act, you can always sing, you can do all of that stuff. What you need to do first is secure your future. And so, um, so that was pretty much the thing. I went off to college, got my degree and went on, secured the future. And then, you know, um, in between I had my daughter will have the kids. And so from that point, you know, I decided to wait until they started to get a little bit older um, so that I can start working towards my future as well. And so this is it. So have you um, been auditioning a lot this summer during break? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, um, definitely. A lot of that. Um, And I'm currently working on a project now um, called Blended Families. Okay. It's a series. They're actually an episode, or I'm sorry, they're they're in the second season now. Um, And it was kind of something that I heard about, so I kind of stalked the director on social media. Um, I saw the posting on one site and kind of stalked the director on social media and just said, hey, um... I think I'd be a great fit for the role. So, um, yeah, is it still, are you still auditioning? And the director told me no. And then said that he would consider me in the future for um, another role if something came up. And I just thought that was like just one of those things that they just give everyone. <laughs> um, and so, so here we are, fast forward, probably about, Five months later, in April, um, I ended up getting a message just saying, hey, um, yeah, I have this role that's that I think is pretty fitting for you. Um, wrote it with you in mind. Tell me what you think. And that was that. Awesome. And so, so, yep, so we're actually working on that now. What network does that show come on? Um, I believe it's going to be through Netflix. Okay. Okay. And so you said this would be season two that you'll be featured on. Yep. Okay. Season awesome. two's the start and then um episode or and season three the character is supposed to be more developed, so which means more lines. <laughs> right, definitely. Yeah, I am um this will this will always be my soapbox for this show. Um And I guess kind of part of the theme is that I really feel like educators, you know, we put in a lot of work, especially if you're a good or a great educator, like we put in a lot of work. It's very time consuming. But I feel like once you get a good, effective system in place, um, you're able to um, maximize your planning time. Someone like myself, I don't really take a lunch per se. It's more like a working lunch. because I avoid the what I call the zoo, which is the teacher's lounge. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. And the, I'm actually releasing a book uh, August 1st, a very short book for teachers that um, chapter two is avoid the zoo, stay away from the zoo. Um, and that's the teacher's lounge. And one of the reasons why I do it is because I want to maximize my time. Um, and I do that by having a working lunch. But I feel like if you can create an effective system, and you can limit the amount of work that you take home, you can still be highly effective in the classroom. 
uh, and you can pursue your passions and dreams. You can have a business on the side. You can be self-employed on the side. You can invest in real estate on the side. I just don't like the stigma that teachers are broke. And I think that a lot of teachers have uh, kind of acclimated themselves to that, where they're like, yeah. yeah, I'm broke. I'm a teacher. Help me. I'm poor. And it's like, no, you knew how much you would make going into this. Um, and so you should yeah. also have a plan on how can I increase my cash flow? But I, I mean, I'll say that for anyone, whether you are a nurse or an accountant or, a, you know, a dentist or whatever, you should have multiple streams of income. And I don't see why teachers don't. It actually frustrates me. So that's my soapbox. But anyways, I'll get off of that. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> I actually, I, I like that. And I'm so interested in reading that book um, because I agree. Um, the main thing that I learned my first year going into teaching was to stay out of the lounge. Yes. You know, um, it's negative in there. <laughs> it, it's so negative And all you have are like teachers complaining about this yes. student or that student. Yes. And, you know, my main thing is um, I, I always say I don't know about them, but I love what I do. Exactly. You know, um, teaching is, yeah, it's it's an option. You know, um, I can go into research. I can do what I want to do, but I genuinely love working with kids. And when I hear um, teachers talking down on their students, to me, it's like, then what is your purpose of being here? If you don't believe in this student, why are you here? Exactly. You know, and then um, and then um, touching back on the fact that you said, you know, we have this notion as teachers are broke. Um, I agree. You hear it all the time. But then again, it goes back to that whole purpose. What is your purpose? And mm-hmm. then if we're trying to teach our students to chase after their dreams, I, I think it's a little bit better when they also see you working towards yours as well. Exactly. And you still have that passion to work with them. You know, exactly. I, I always use um, teaching as definitely a way to attract my, my minority students. Um, for one, it's that's, that's major, um, to me because you know it's always easy to hear someone saying oh well you should be a doctor or you should be a scientist or you should be x y and z but you have no one who look like you telling you that so when i'm in the classroom i'm able to say no you can truly do whatever you want to do we truly need women in science we truly need x y and z right. you know and i'm able to live through that, you know, plus it, it makes better stories in the classroom too, you know? Um, and I, I also agree with, um, just not taking as much work home. Like with what I do in the classroom, you'd think that I just sit and just do so much work at home. I've learned a system. I, I, um, I, watch how my students are learning. I pace everything in accordance and according to like how they're learning because I don't go for memorization. I go for retention. I need to make sure that after they take my class, you know, two or three years from now when they go off to college, that 
they can still remember what Ms. Eggleston taught them. So I do most of my work and school so that when I get home, I have time to spend with my family and to do stuff with my kids as well, you know, right. um, because being an educator, the hardest thing to deal with is that balance, especially when you have kids. It's like I'm, I'm around 130 kids at school and I'm able to direct them and their lives, I better be able to make it home and direct my kids as well. So absolutely. It's definitely so about, it's just finding that mm-hmm. balance and just doing everything that you, you want to do. It's easier said than done, but I mean, once you do it, life is more enjoyable. Totally agree. hundred percent. So let's get into the nitty gritty of our actual topic, which is personalized learning. Which for listeners, we will um, also make synonymous with individualized learning, personalized learning. Um, what else could we call it? Personalized learning, individualized learning, maybe even differentiation um, could be tied to that. Um, enrichment. Um, so we're going to use all of these terms pretty synony- uh, synonymously. Uh, as we. Hold on. Let me move back inside because it seems like it's getting loud out here with the airplanes going through. <laughs> okay, so I was enjoying my time on my porch. <laughs> it's all good. Okay. So, all what right. Were you so, yeah. So, individualized learning will be synonymous with personalized learning. Um, can also be construed for differentiation or enrichment or. Um, one-on-one um, teaching, one-on-one coaching. Um, there's a lot of different um, words and phrases and models that we can kind of associate with individualized learning. So if we use these and we interchange them, don't be confused. We all mean the same thing. Um, so let me ask you this. For individualized or personalized learning, Hypothetically speaking, what is that supposed to look like in the classroom from your perspective? Say that last part again. What is, I'm sorry, I cut out. Yeah. What is individualized learning? What, from your perspective, what is it supposed to look like? Um, within my classroom, um, one, I, I, everyone learns at different levels. So, I mean, the main thing is just having everyone be themselves. And I set up stations. I I actually have a system to kind of um, rotate students through so that those who need additional assistance can work with me more one-on-one. So I tutor within my class time as well. Um, Because, yeah. Everyone learns differently. It's it's all individualized learning. All right, um, and I've and I've seen individualized learning be actually described as like organized chaos. So, and I teach read language arts. I teach gifted uh, students, and previously before that, I taught enriched students. Um, and it's exactly that. Like you've been to the Apple Store before, I assume. Have I been to where? Uh, you, you've been to the Apple store before? Oh, yes. Yeah. So when you yes, walk I've into been to the Apple store, definitely. When you walk into the Apple store um, in comparison to like a Best Buy or a Walmart or whatever electronic store there is, it's not the same. Um, 
there's a lot going on. Uh, everything's spread out, and you see either small individual groups, or you might see uh, someone independently working on something. And then, like in an Apple store, you'll have these uh, sales associates and uh, the geniuses who fix things and who teach the classes and workshops that they offer. And everyone's just kind of maneuvering at their own pace, at their own speed. Um, and maybe because I used to work for Apple, that's how I approach individualized learning, but that's what it looks like in my classroom if it's done well. Now, the emphasis is yeah. if it's done well. Um, and I think a big part of that is that uh, you have to set expectations, uh, academic expectations, behavior expectations. You have to be able to trust your students in order for them to be able to move about the room freely. Um, I teach middle school, so yeah. that's more of a concern for me than if I was still teaching high school. Um, I think you can trust high schoolers a little bit more as far as moving about the room freely because they're not going to, at least you would assume, they're not going to uh, just be walking around for no reason or wasting time. Um, but that's something that I have to have a clear expectation with my middle schoolers, and I have to make sure that they are following you know, the rules and procedures of the classroom as they are individually working on different tasks and objectives. Um, yeah, so you said you set up workstations. What, how do you determine the actual workstation? Um, well, what I do, I, because my, the main course that I teach is chemistry. Um, and so my main thing is to try to make chemistry fun period, you know, because it's a very difficult subject. And so I group my kids up, like initially coming in, I give them a test. And based on how they scored on that test, I put them in different groups. Now, my groups are, you have some higher level students working with lower level students. So I kind of mix the group up and then everyone is assigned a, a role within the group. So for example, um, depending upon the topic, I may have one student who's a leader and I rotate everything through. Um, so everyone towards the end will get a chance to be a leader. Um, and so the leader's job would be after I lecture um, and give the group an assignment, um, the leader's job is to come and meet with me. I meet with all the leaders and then I um, pretty much go back over the information with them so that they can go back to their groups and dump everything with their groups and help their group members out. So then what happens is those students who still do not understand the material, that gives me an opportunity to kind of work more individually with them. Um, because the thing about science in general or just um, with chemistry is there's so many ways, so many different ways of attacking a problem. So it allows me that one-on-one -on -one opportunity to see how that student learned. Is that student a visual learner? Does, is that student more audio? Um, and I try to cater to their learning style. Um, my, my main phrase, like I said earlier, is every child is teachable. But as an educator, we need to see how that child is learning, how they're more receptive, and we need to make it work for them. We can't expect for 
all of the kids, if we do a lecture, to to automatically understand the information. You know, so um, so that's pretty much how I kind of do my stations. We get fun names um, when the students enter my classroom. After the first week, I give them a name of the element on the periodic table. So, um, and then they have to create their rebirth story. So John Adams is no longer John Adams. He may be hydrogen oxygen and his mom and dad met in Neptune or something, you know, so he's able to elaborate his story, his new existence, while also tying in the history of the elements. And so when the students come into my classroom, we're no longer addressing John Adams by John Adams. His name is um, hydrogen helium or whatever, you know? Um, so I think the main thing is to try to make it fun. So they're, they're actually learning, but not realizing that they're learning. You know, I, I tell my students, you're going to know the 118 elements on the periodic table. So with all my classes, I do like scavenger hunts. So I may say, I need you guys to find this student. And they have to first find out all of my chemistry students, you know, and then from that point, identify their names. So, yeah, it, it's kind of playing mind games, but but working with them, just trying to find creative ways to get them to learn, whether it's by singing or acting it out, um, just being unique because students remember the uniqueness, you know, um, before the lesson. Sure. And um, going back into your response there, how do you uh, initially determine the baseline data? Do you have like a... Do you have like a uh, common assessment or some type of assessment that you give the students at the very beginning of the year? You know what I do? I give my final exam. As your baseline the assessment? Students, yep. They okay. don't know that it's the final exam. Um, and so I give them the final exam because I, I just want true data, you know, um, and the best way to do it is to continue to give them the same questions and see how they're growing, Definitely. you know? Um, and so I give them the assessment coming into the class. I give them the assessment mid year as well. And then I give them the assessment of course, as a final exam, by the time they get to the final exam, they're just like, miss, are you serious? This is easy. And I'm like, yeah, it better be. This is everything we've covered. And then we go over um, their data and how far they've come along. My, my main purpose, like I said earlier, is retention. I don't want memorization. You know, yeah. by the time we get to that final exam, I want these students to have these formulas where they can practically spit them out. Um, and anyone can ask them questions. Um, so... So the main thing is just to teach them how to critically think as well. So no matter how the question's asked, they know how to depict the, the information and get the right answer. All right. And the final exam, is this something that you've created yourself or is this from? Yes. With the baseline assessment, um, 
What I use now is I use my own assessment, but it goes over everything more. So I get my questions out of the college prep books. Um, and then, but like when I was teaching in Florida, they actually have baseline assessments where they have to take them at the beginning of the year, middle and end, but they were all different tests. And so I would use, um, one of the baseline assessments itself um, to kind of assess my students. And so I would keep that consistent throughout. Okay, okay. And you mentioned that you like to cater to the students' uh, different learning styles. How do you determine their actual learning styles? The main thing is getting to know your students. You know, um, sitting with them, talking to them. I, I really, um, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm very science minded. So I'm very like overly analytical at times. And so I, I analyze their work. So when they turn in work, if I'm seeing certain scores, then that to me tells me that, you know what, this student did not really understand the information. Right. You know, um, I always tell them if you're getting first off below a B, then you need to sit with me. You know, my, my expectations for the students, I'd rather have my students all get A's and B's and be questioned as to why they're doing so well than to have students with C's and D's. Um, and I, I take my time. I sit with my students. Um, like I said, within my, my class block, I, I allow time to actually go through and tutor my students and work with them one-on-one -on -one for those who are not able to um, stay after school or come in earlier in the morning. And so from that point, I tend to learn um, yes, I, I have a lot of students who have like IEPs, um, but with that, I, I don't allow that to be their blueprint. You know, um, I, I tend to be one of those teachers. Yeah, I'll skim through the IEPs, but I teach my class. You know, if, if I notice something different, then I may say, hold on, let me take a look at their IEP. But, um... Yeah, for the most part, I, I kind of just work with my students and they show me what they're capable of doing. And I I kind of work with that. I, I tweak that. Okay, that makes sense. So what would you say, what would you say are some of the benefits of personalized learning? Um, the benefits, I mean, for for the teachers, um, it, it can be more more difficult or more time consuming, but the benefits for the kids is they're really learning the information, you know, um, and they're learning at their pace and they're not feeling like they're, they're bothering the teacher or bothering their peers. Um, they're feeling more confident about the material. They're feeling more confident about, um, themselves definitely you know um because they're able to do the work 
Okay. And are you still, do you still use direct, uh, direct instruction in your classroom? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, well, I use direct instruction um, and project base. So, um, so it just really depends on the topic. Um, but then, you know, also teaching chemistry, a lot of it, it's like I, I lecture one day, we apply it, and then we do a lab. You know, um, I, I try to keep them in the lab as much as possible. And I try to keep them working with groups as much as possible. Because even then, studies have shown that students really retain like 5% from the educators. The remainder is from our peers. Or right. not our peers, but their peers. Right. So you're finding that your students are learning better from each other than from, from your direct instruction then sometimes? Yep. Okay. And from that point, it, it, it helps them to kind of gain that confidence as well. Um, and for me, I mean, I like to be able to just go through and I listen to the discussions and whatever needs to be tweaked, I tweak it. Um, I'm, I'm still traditional when it comes to certain things, though, like um, going up to the board. Uh, all of my students know that if you're in my class, shy or not, you're going up to the board. So, you know, um, they they initially don't like that, but by the end, end of the class, um, they are so excited to go up to the board and ask me a question and throw them formulas up and I'm able to actually sit and see how they're learning and how they're processing the information. And the one thing about going to the board, I can tweak it right away. All right. And you mentioned earlier that uh, you go over your students' data with the actual students in your classroom. Do you guys use like student data notebooks or how do you get the kids to track and monitor their own performance? Yes. Um, I give them like they have the same information that I have. Um, and so I do have data notebooks. Um and I also put everything, they all their. Um, typically, once a month, I try to sit with my students, especially if I notice like a decline, to see what's going on. You know, um, are they not learning the information? Is it something going on at home? Are they not getting enough sleep? Are they not? Um, engaged like you know there's several different factors um that takes place um that affects the student's grade and and how frequently do you get the opportunity to go over data with your students um like i said definitely we go over it um as a whole i would say at least once a month Probably a little bit more than that. Um, I have an advisory class, but that's not with all of my students. And the advisory, we go over it just about weekly. Um, but probably definitely once a month, unless I see a, a decline, um, I'm, 
I'm always monitoring my grades um, as I'm entering them in and comparing. Um, And let's see, what else do I do? Oh, within the groups, I like each group has like their own names. So I have like different challenges that they do. Um, So like if the group score well on a test, like have the highest overall um, average percentage, then I may have them do lunch with me and I'd probably go out and get a pizza. And so I have a data wall that actually um, have like different colors to it to represent the different groups. And so they're able to kind of see how they're moving as a group as well. So the one thing that I have noticed though, is let's say for example, um, one group, you had some students who had all A's, um, another student who had like a B or a C or what have you. Students, they share within their group, they share their information. So if this group's average is a 89 and it's because someone within their group scored lower, um, what they're going to do is push all of their group members to work harder. So the group leader is going to make sure that they're being effective. The recorder is being effective. Everyone tends to work together and build that community so that they can look at that data wall and see how their group is doing in comparison to the entire class. So it's not like an individualized um, data wall um, because I don't like to single kids out, but it's more on the groups, the group's average. Um, students don't know each other's grades unless they share it with each other. At your school or even your previous school in, in Florida, did you guys get the opportunity to um, do like collaborate with your colleagues and analyze data, notice certain trends on how kids were performing and um, kind of brainstorm how to attack those deficiencies or or you know negative patterns that maybe you've seen like a like almost like a data presentation did you guys do that yes yes definitely i think as um an educator in general we we need that collaboration you know because our way is not always the best solution you know um it helps us as long as we keep the kids in mind um then we're all able to come together and do what's going to be in the best interest of our students. Um, But I I love collaboration. I did it often in Florida. Um, Unfortunately, out here in California, I am thus far the only science teacher. So I collaborate with the math teacher. Um, We're getting a new science instructor in this year. So I'm getting so excited um, for that as my position is actually moving. I'm, I'm transitioning out of the classroom. So, um, so yeah, but collaboration is amazing. I think it's essential to teaching. It's training, super boring. Shoulda never ever came, but they made me. I do not want to be here. These summer trainings got my teaching career in the sunken place. 
This is a way for the districts to make sure the teachers ain't having no fun on summer break. What page are we on? Leadership training. This is a waste of time because we all know that in the end, no matter who they train, it's going to be the district who's going to be the one that's going to lead the ship. And the ship been sinking. We ain't got no say so. They're going to ask me what I learned. I'm not sure. We got these trainings in the summertime because we got a new appraisal system. The new appraisal system ain't nothing but the old appraisal system with a new acronym. They're going to make us do the same stuff. The two-day training, and we be looking at the same PowerPoint. That's a powerless point. I done drew all over this agenda. A teacher's life just ain't fair. This is a real nice hotel we in. Seems like the district pours money into everything except for my bank account. Why I gotta participate? I ain't getting paid for this. Do you know how much they paying me, speaker? This is painful to sit through and making me sleepy all at one time. What page we on? So for the black scholars who are listening to this episode, um, for our black educators, what suggestions would you offer them to personalize learning in their own respective classrooms? Uh, my suggestion would just be, like I've been saying earlier, just keep in mind that every single child is teachable. Even the one who who is falling behind, I mean, talk to that child. See how that child is learning. Learn your students. Um, once you learn your students, you start to develop your lessons to kind of cater around them and their needs. Um, and just understand that not every single child is going to learn at the same pace. So if you're one of those teachers who plan and say, okay, Tuesday we're having a test, but you know um, there's several students who are possibly going to fail that test, our goal is not to fail kids. Our goal is to get them to learn. So maybe you may have to move that test back a little bit so that we can give John or Sean or Amy um, the the opportunity to to work a little bit harder at um, critiquing her her learning, you know, so that she or he can um, possibly score higher on our assessments um, because they all learn differently. That's, that's just my main thing. And just going back to that, the child version of you and just put yourself back into when you were in their, um, their place and the things that you needed. I think if we, if we all tend to go back to that point, um, it would make it easier um, in the classroom and engaging our students. I don't know if you would agree or not, but for me, um, it's it's a lot easier. And is there any... Um, and oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, and that's that. That's where I kind of am with it. <laughs> And are there any books or resources out there that you would recommend to other black educators to check out that has helped you in your profession? Um, in my profession, for me, uh-oh, hold on, my microphone is out. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, for me, I'm more so like literally a, a high-end nerd. And so all of my books are like geared towards um, 
geared towards like specific fields. So I mainly just read like physics and science books, um, analytical chemistry. Um, I have one book that I really enjoy though, um, called Prejudice. Um, it's by Vaughn, I think it's like Buchanan. Um, and it talks about just different attitudes within the classroom dealing with race, class, and gender. And um, I, I really like those type of books because it, it helps me to make sure that I'm I'm aligned on my end and everyone's getting like that that equal treatment, you know, and just learning um, learning about how different cultures um, react to certain things, you know, um, part of teaching is also learning about different cultures as well, you know, um, which would also help, um, benefit you as an educator, but, um, benefit the class more, um, when you're more diverse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well, any last words you'd like to leave uh, other black scholars and educators with? Um, continue doing what you are doing. Um, you never know the impact that you're having on students. Um, and just the main thing is just do it and do it with love. Um, as an educator, yeah, you're the teacher, but you're also the mentor. You may be the auntie. Um, you may be the uncle, depending on what students may see you as. You may be mom. You may be dad. Um, just know that, yes, you wear several hats, and you may not be compensated for it, but greater value comes in what you produce for the future. Um, and the children are our future. Um, and, and they, they need us, you know, they need more people who look like, us. um, telling them that they can do and be anything, um, and truly meaning it. Um, that's, that's my main thing is just, just to show love. Um, like I've consistently expressed, like, especially if you're teaching high school, Kids really need it. Um, these teens really need it. The things that they're faced with, they need that guidance. They need that mentoring. Um, um, they need us more than we think that they do. And we're making a bigger impact, whether it's us smiling at the door every single morning, um, whether it's us just having that soft voice or just being, um, I'm like the the goofy teacher that means what they say, you know. Um, so just and that, you know, you may have students that that need you there um, to help them get through. So you never know a child's struggle, and just just keep in mind the days that they're facing, and just just continue being awesome. Um, being an educator, I think you're already awesome. So. Absolutely, and well said. Yeah. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You never know.
never see Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave So it wasn't no slaves, and a history One no slave ships, one no misery 